When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Kylie Elmiller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Caleb Trainer swoops and scores. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. Gets topside Rambo scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson. All right, what's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk presented by Fanatics. Today's episode is airing live on Twitter Spaces. We plan to do more of these types of episodes as the PLL season kind of gets underway. But uh, I'm your host, Hutton Jackson. Today, I'm joined by my co-host and co-founder of PLT, Adam Moore. So welcome back, Adam, as well as PLT contributors Brian Andrews and Topher Adams. Topher's making his PLT podcast debut not too long after releasing a great feature on top Redwoods draft pick, Arden Cohen. Recommend everyone visit ProLacrosseTalk.com. Check that out. Great article by Topher. Today's episode, we're going to cover the NLL Division Finals. Uh, one series is still going on. Uh, the other it has ended. The Bandits have advanced. Um, we're also going to recap the PLL draft and kind of preview the upcoming PLL season as we are five days away from PLL training camp. So training camp is upon us. We're going into the end of the NLL season and into the beginning of the PLL season, so a lot of pro lacrosse for people to watch uh, coming up. We'll start with the NLL Division Finals, though. Um, Buffalo advances after a really tight series between the Toronto Rock um, and the Buffalo Bandits. The Rock were right there. They ended up uh, dropping those two games in a row, um, despite scoring a goal and pulling within one in both those games uh, in the final minute. Nearly went to overtime. Really tough break for the Toronto Rock. Um, But I'll go with you, Adam, first. What would you see from the series? You know, obviously we knew this was going to be a tight series. I think everyone expected it to be these games to be one goal games, but um, you know, what are your kind of thoughts on the bandits? In my opinion, this was kind of like the, almost the championship game, no disservice to the teams in the West, but I just think these were the top two teams all season. Um, do you kind of have similar sentiments or kind of what are your thoughts on how the series turned out? Yeah, no, I, I, no matter what, um, I, I probably pick the bandits as my championship favorite going into the next series, whether it's the seals or mammoth. Honestly, I was really hoping the rock won this one just for the plain fact that we could get a, a third game between these teams. Right. I was really hoping uh, that last goal uh, counted at the end there. I'm, it's a tough way to go out by playing so well if, if you're the rock, but there's a lot of pieces to build on going forward for them. But going into that next series, wh- whoever it is, uh, I think, it's probably going to be close to unanimous that I bet the bandits are our most, most people's pick. Yeah. They kind of just feel like a team of destiny right now. Just the fact that you know, they go 14 and four, um, you know, one of the best seasons, regular seasons of all time in the NLL. Um, this offense has been super potent. We've seen Matt Vince at the top of his game, despite, you know, being one of the older veterans in this league. Uh, I just, you know, think it, they're, they're feeling very much like the Maryland Terrapins in college, um, despite, you know, 
the NLL having a lot more parity, I think, in the league. And I think, it, you know, given whoever they play in the West, it still will be a good series. But um, it's almost just like, you know, at the beginning of the year, like they're the best team. Can they keep up this production? And even though we've seen um, the Bandits falter a little bit, particularly against the Rock, I think them, you know, getting past the Rock in two games has got to be a big uh, sigh of relief because not only did they, you know, beat essentially their arch rivals, but they did in two games. So they have a, a week to rest up as well, which is pretty key. I don't know. Do you have similar sentiments, Brian, and, you know, how this series turned out? Yeah, I absolutely feel the same way as you guys. I felt like we were watching basically what the championship ended up being, and I would have loved for that series um, to have been extended to a third game. At the very least, though, I'm really happy that both games ended up being, like, one goal, really exciting, down to the, literally the final buzzer. Um, so it at least had that excitement factor. It wasn't what we think are the two best teams. And, like, you know, the Rock getting blown out both games, or the se- even in just the second game. Um, and I'm, I've been really enjoying the West Coast series too. I'm happy at least one of the series have gone to three games to make it like really, uh, or really genuinely take advantage of this, uh, series format that just got reintroduced. Uh, so I think that one's going to come down to the wire too. Both of those teams have been fighting, uh, tooth and nail to get to the third game. So I'm really excited to see what happens there, but I have a hard time thinking that either of these teams are going to have enough in them to put up a fight in, uh, especially when they have to go to bandit land, but I really hope that whoever wins the third game of the mammoth uh, seals proves me wrong. Yeah. I'm definitely hoping for a three game series. Um, And it's interesting too, you know, here we are. uh, We didn't have a championship last year. Um, The last championship we did have was between the Calgary roughnecks and the Buffalo bandits. So Buffalo bandits, obviously losing in two games, um, in 2019, they get a little shot at redemption. Um, although a lot of players on this team have recently won a championship with the chaos. So kind of a little bit of a back-to-back in terms of field and box. Um, now have some ramifications on the PLL season two, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but the one lone player from the Calgary Roughnecks who has a chance to make it back to the championship is Dane Doby. And he had that behind-the-back clutch overtime goal to keep the Seals alive against the Mammoth in the Loud House. What a game uh, by Dane Doby. He had five points in that game. And, um, you know, I just think he's one of those players that, you know, there's a lot of players in this league that can put up a lot of points. And we see, you know, just just the way the NLL is, um, stars can have big nights, like multi-goal games, um, you know, seven-plus point games is not really something that's uncommon in the NLL. But Dane Doby does it on the biggest of stages when it matters most. You saw him go to Calgary, you know, on his return to Calgary, and put up a bunch of points there. Um, and here, you know, in an elimination game, put the team on his back, literally, you know, with that behind-the-back goal on Dylan Ward um, to send the Seals back home for game three. Adam, thoughts on Dane Doby's, you know, late-game heroics and the fact that, you know, a guy like him gets a shot at another championship and a guy like Brody Merrill gets a shot at an LO championship um, as well. Just, you know, what about this Seals team? Do you think they have the momentum now going into game three? Or um, do you think that we're going to, you know, see another dog fight um, in game three. Yeah, speaking of dogs, and I haven't been on in a while with you guys, so it's going to be my shtick, right? Dylan Ward, I have to bring it up again. If you have him in cage, uh, I mean, you're you're not out of any game. And, I mean, he had one more, one less save than Frank did uh, in this last game. Uh, and if you have him in cage, and I know Ryan Lee is a big loss, uh, for the Mammoth. I, I'd say you're correct in the fact that the Seals probably right now have, have some momentum. Uh, obviously, they won that last game, but uh, I think uh, as the series has seen, as we've seen, uh, it's going to be a competitive game three either way. So um, 
I think with Ward and Cage, I'm going to lean Mammoth uh, just because I think um, he he has the potential to just come up big, as we've seen uh, throughout his career. I, th- I think that's a really good point, Adam. Uh, and I also think that the Mammoth have uh, the ability to take some of the advantage because we've seen it. We saw against the Wings and also uh, in the close games against the Mammoth, if the Seals don't control the pace of the game, the Mammoth kind of run by them and create chaos. And uh, I said this on uh, Bet on Lacrosse too recently, but uh, that's how they ended up coming back against the Roughnecks and, and winning in the first round of the playoffs after losing in, in the week prior. So I, I think that the Seals really control their own fate and, and their defense does. And I think it's, Dylan Ward's going to show up when we know that. So I, I, I'm, I think I'm with you on that one. Yeah, and I, I just – I really don't know how to get a read on this series because both teams have looked good. I feel like, though, I got to give the Mammoth some credit because they – you know, we talked about the Rock, Bandit, Seals. They were teams linked to the top for most of the season. Mammoth were sneaky good and really just never got that love. And, you know, here they are still one game away from making it to the championship. Um, and doing so, too, with a lot of new faces. You know, Connor Robinson is having a great year for them. Obviously, the Rush missed his presence this season, uh, you know, Eli McLaughlin had a seven-point game, including that goal to tie it up to send it into overtime. Um, and they're doing it, you know, missing essentially their MVP and Ryan Lee this season. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you, Adam. Dylan Ward, I think, has played at, you know, the level we all expect him to. And he's really been playing at that level since the Water Dogs got hot last summer. Um, you know, he's had, I think, one or two games this year, maybe in the NLL during a long 18-game season where he's faltered. But for the most part, he's been at the top of his game. Um, and I think, you know, when you have him in cage, you always have a chance. And it is interesting, the atmosphere, because uh, I'm not sure how, you know, crazy the atmosphere is going to be in San Diego compared to Colorado. And I don't know if that really benefits either team, but Banditland's crazy. Toronto's crazy in Hamilton, you know, um, Denver's crazy in the Loud House. San Diego's not that big, you know, of an environment um, compared to what we are used to in some of these NLL arenas. So I don't know if that benefits any team, but that is interesting going into game three, just to kind of consider. But uh, yeah, I, I'm excited for this series. If you, you had to have me pick, um, I'm kind of leaning Mammoth too, but it's hard to bet against Brody Merrill and Dane Doby. And, you know, another guy that's been playing phenomenal is Westberg, who gets a shot at advancing to a championship and facing a lot of his chaos teammates too. So him and Mac O'Keefe um, are two guys that are, you know, chaos guys as well. Uh, you got anything else to add, Adam? Yeah. And I, at the end of the day, uh, the league has to be happy with the hell these series are going, right? Obviously they probably would have loved uh, for, for Toronto uh, buff to go game three, but I mean, how close these games have been. You couldn't have asked for a better playoffs. And the only thing I could ask for is a little bit longer series at the beginning. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, we can't complain because so far these NBA uh, semifinal games have been blowouts on both sides. So it's nice that we're getting some close lacrosse, uh, despite, you know, even the Bandits only going two games. Uh, They've been some real nail biters through and through. Um, Those are our thoughts on the NLL Division Finals. Going to be a crazy weekend for New York lacrosse fans having the PLL kickoff in Albany and then having Buffalo host that playoff game. Um, But let's go to the PLL. We had the PLL draft recently. Um, and started off with a shocker with Logan Wisnowskis going first overall. You know, in hindsight, it's not that crazy of a pick, but, you know, anytime you pass on the all-time leading scorer in NCAA history and Chris Gray, you know, it's going to turn some heads. But let's go around the horn. I'll start with you, Topher. Quick reactions to the draft. The main thing is that every coach got their guys. 
I don't think anybody just reached on someone who was like the best available player. They got players who fit they that they see as fitting their system, guys who are really complementary to what's already on the roster. I think you mentioned the Wisnowskis pick. I think they picked that over a guy like Chris Gray because they felt he's a much more natural fit alongside what they already have. You saw on the broadcast, uh, Paul Carcaterra and Ryan Boyle kind of questioning the Wheaton Jack voice pick to the Whip Snakes, but you know that's clearly who Jim Stagnita wanted, and you saw it in his response later in the draft. So I think you saw what the main theme for me was that got that coaches got their guys, and that was how they wanted to address this this draft this year. No, I agree, and that's kind of you know always been kind of the theme too. Stagnita, I'm glad you bring up him because he's he's the one that's always kind of gone kind of against the conventional wisdom, but. You know, these coaches talk with other college coaches and players a lot more than we do. Uh, Danny Logan, I think, is a guy that really went under the radar last draft. And, you know, if you had to redraft, he's probably going in the first round. And that's because um, Coach Rubio knew what he was getting in talking to Coach Tierney. And, you know, here he turns around and becomes uh, the short stick defensive midi of the year in his rookie season. So, yeah, I I think that's a, a great point by you. Brian, any quick reactions to the draft? Yeah, the the event as a whole was really great. I thought it was a huge step up in production level from a product that I already really liked while they were on NBC Sports. I loved, like, uh, how Topher was mentioning that Boyle and Kark were, like, right there and reacting genuinely to the picks, uh, even if they didn't find them favorable. They weren't just, you know, putting, you know, they weren't sugarcoating any of their opinions, and they had to do it right in front of the coaches. So I, I really respected just how, like, holistic the experience felt. And then additionally building on what Topher was saying with so few teams in such a big talent pool, I think it's really hard for teams to do particularly poorly in any of this draft, these drafts, especially with the uh, uh, movement on the, in the transaction list that we've been seeing afterwards, particularly with like the whips pickups and everything. So I, outside of like the first and probably second round and the Nakia Montgomery pick, um, I don't think the picks were all like, the be all end all of how this year is going to go, but it was a great spectacle. And as the league continues to grow, I think it's going to become more and more important and be a bigger, bigger staple in our sport. Absolutely. And with, you know, four rounds, um, it's crazy actually how the MLL used to do a lot more rounds, but four rounds feels like, you know, almost, I don't want to say too much, but like just the right amount for right now. Whereas like these guys are still competing for small roster spots. You know, there's only 19 man rosters and stuff. So that that's, I think what's really interesting. Glad you mentioned Nakai because he was an interesting one when I was mocking him. I had him potentially going as high as three to the Redwoods and then maybe even falling out into the second round, you know, to the Chrome or whatever. He falls to the third round and I don't know how much, that had to do with him trying out for the Dallas Cowboys, but what a steal by the Redwoods to get him in the third round in a guy that I, I thought he could have gone third overall. So they get Arden Cohen, uh, you know, third overall as well as snagging Nakai and Mitch Bartolo is another big force on that midfield. That is going to be a great pickup for them as well. Adam, what are your quick reactions to the draft? Yeah, you know, I'm a big draft guy in most sports and I, I really loved, we can talk trades a little bit later, but loved seeing that. Uh, trade between the cannons and Atlas live uh, seeing the the gears turn in coach Quirk's head uh, trying to determine if it was a right move uh, with coach Rubio so uh, love the production really enjoyed seeing that kind of uh, the behind the scenes uh, side things and there's some picks we'll talk about in a sec that, that I really love for a bunch of the squads no definitely let's kind of get into that we'll start off with the chrome who are on the clock first and i'll go to you brian you know we already mentioned was going first was you know the first shock of the night um but you know they had a pretty 
pretty good draft, uh, I think, going forward. I'll talk a little bit of my thoughts, but I'll get your thoughts first. What do you think of uh, Coach Sudan's draft with the Colonel? Like I, like I just said, I don't. I think it's really hard to do bad in this draft, and I'm not about to say that Sudan did, like, even the worst of the teams. Uh, but I think it would have been really hard to convince me after the draft of only four rounds and even with some of the player pool transactions that the Chrome feel like a complete team right now. Uh, I think it's going to come a lot down to how this offense kind of meshes together throughout training camp. Uh, actually, now looking at the rosters, I actually have a lot of confidence in their defensive setup. I think they've picked up some good pieces. If JT uh, Giles Harris is like remains healthy, I think he's going to be a prominent part of their defense. Where I'm worried about them is, especially with some of their key losses, like Kyle Gallagher and Jesse King, uh, not to retirement, just to the holdout list. Uh, those really hurt, and I think it's going to make them struggle a little bit in between the lines and at the stripe. And they were already one of the worst teams offensively and defensively in transition. So I think that's a place that they were doing bad, and I think just because they lost so many players to a variety of factors that it was really difficult for them to really improve on. So I think that's going to continue to be a weakness for them, and until they kind of figure something out there, it's going to continue to be that way. That's fair. I, I tend to kind of – Agree and disagree with you in a way. I agree with you that I don't think this draft really puts Chrome over the top. I don't think it really convinces me that, you know, they're the top, one of the top teams in the league. Again, this league is so tight that they could make a run for the championship, but any team kind of could. But I don't think this draft really pushed me, you know, over the edge. Like I, I have a, a long future on them and I don't know if, you know, it got that much shorter in my mind. I don't know, you know, how much value is still there. Um, although I did get it, I think at a good price, but I actually love this draft because I think they did address all their needs in a way. And I think, you know, they addressed every need that they had, despite whether those, you know, players will be able to, you know, overcome all the deficits. I think Wisnowskis on the left side clearly is a great move because he's a do-it-all player. It was probably going to go top three, top four anyway. And they had a need at that lefty side after trading Gutterding. And I think their pick with Nick Turn in the second round retroactively made that even better because, you know, they had Jackson Morrill last year at X, did really well still, um, despite, you know, them finishing last place. And then they had Nick Turn, who can also play at that X position. So you, you take Chris Gray, then you still have to fill that lefty spot. Instead, they get Wisnowskis, who you can put at the same tier as Chris Gray. And then they fill that need, you know, at the initiator with Jordan Wolf's retirement. Um, so I really liked what they did there. Then they get uh, McNulty. You know, they kind of needed LSM after Joel White retired. They get him and then Owen McElroy, uh, arguably the top goalie draft prospect in the draft um, as well. And, you know, they have Scannoni. I think Scannoni's their guy. Um, I don't think we're talking enough about how, you know, they really positioned him to be their future goaltender last year. And so, you know, can't forget about him, but adding McElroy is great. I'm interested to see how that camp battle goes. And I've been big on Nick Washuda too. So they got three capable goaltenders to kind of take the reins from John Galloway here. So I really liked what they did in the draft. But I do agree with you that I don't know if it necessarily makes me think, okay, the Chrome are the team to beat. Like, I think we could see they have the potential to be like an Atlas was last year and make a run. But I don't know if I can write them off as being an Atlas right now. You know, and we didn't think that with Atlas last year. We were, we were like, okay, they got a lot of great draft picks, but how will it work? That's where, you know, we have to see. They could end up being like the Atlas or they could end up being more towards the bottom of the barrel like they were last year. Yeah, I think you kind of, you both kind of hinted at it. Uh, a lot of, like they didn't necessarily add that that much through the draft. I mean, obviously those guys might all contribute, but I think we also have to think their moves last year, like Scannoni, like Giles Harris, didn't really impact the team last season, but will 
they have that carryover effect. JT Giles Harris is basically another first round draft pick that they get this year. Scanoni, he'll be the first, like that's another addition effectively because he only played like two or three games last year. So I think it's kind of a, a twofold. Like they added these four players, but then they also add several key contributors from last year who we don't know really what they'll look like at the PLL level yet. Yeah, and you know, we haven't talked about it yet too, but another guy they added that they didn't get to see because of injury last year was Randy Stotts, right? And we, we kind of aren't 100% sure uh, his status. The cross playground put out today that uh, he's playing in MSL until uh, the the season starts for the Chrome and he, he plans on soon enough for them. I mean, I, this is a perfect podcast for me to come back to. I got to talk about my boy Dylan Ward and now I get to get on my soapbox about Randy Stotts, right? And he, I, I think he's one of the best players in the world. Box field whatever the case may be uh he is a truly impactful player uh and will change how i view the squad if he doesn't play this year so um i think uh that's another question mark uh for for the chrome at the moment and you mentioned the goalie situation i mean it's pretty nice to have uh from a draft perspective nab the first team all-american and then last year bring on uh the two-time reigning mll goalie of the year and then, obviously, we both enjoy, think uh, Nick Washuda uh, has some strong capabilities in cage, too. So um, my grade for the offseason for the Chrome uh, is kind of on pause right now. It's kind of TBD. Yeah, no, for sure. And like you mentioned, Randy Stotts was monitoring that situation. I feel like we're going to have some news pretty, pretty soon on that. And um, I was actually one of the first to kind of notice that the Chiefs had announced him playing during the 2022 MSL season, which is what led us to believe that he wasn't going to play in the PLL. Now we're hearing from LPG, who's obviously very close to the source himself, having talked to Randy Stotts. I can't get much closer than that, saying that he is going to play. So it sounds like he's going to play for the Chiefs um, in their one game, maybe two games um, before training camp and then attend, you know, Chrome training camp and we'll get to see him during the PLL. But um, that's, Confusion was due to the fact that the PLL is now prohibiting its players from playing in the MSL. And we could talk all day about that discussion. I've gone at length on Twitter, uh, but we'll save that for another podcast. Um, at the end of the day, like I agree with you, Randy Stotts is on this team. Um, it, it moves this team up definitely for me because they missed him last year. We know that he was ready to return for Panther city. If they had made the playoffs, they decided to hold him back just because there's no point, you know, in risking further injury um, at the end of the season when they weren't going to make the playoffs. But uh, you know, if they have Randy Stotts, that attack looks much more dangerous. And you got Dylan Malloy, too, didn't even mention on that righty side. So you, you could see a combo of Dylan Malloy and Randy Stotts on that right side, you know, with a little two-man game. Nick Turner and Jackson Morrill probably interchangeably at X. And then you got Wisnowskis on the lefty side. Um, you know, it's going to take some time for them to build chemistry. But on paper, that is, you know, one of the best attacks that you can put together. So um, definitely going to be a new-look Chrome team going into this season, but definitely excited for it. Um, now we'll move on to the Atlas, who, you know, you could argue got the steal of the draft as well in getting Chris Gray at number two, who many projected to go number one overall. Um, we'll start with you, Topher. Thoughts on Ben Rubier's draft? For me, Atlas and Ben Ruby are clear, obvious winners from the draft. Uh, they just kind of landed the all-time leading scorer in college lacrosse, just gifted into their laugh, lap. So now they have a perfect one-two punch with Jeff T and Chris Gray. Uh, Kobe Smith, a uh, really good LSM to complement uh, Craig Chick, who's more of a pure defensive LSM. Kobe Smith gets them more of a transition runner type. And then getting next year's first-round pick from the Cannons it, what, for second-round draft capital is is pretty ridiculous, honestly, especially with how good next year's draft class could be, especially on defense. That is 
pretty pretty insane for Ben Rubior to get that extra draft capital. Yeah, absolutely. And it is interesting, too. Now they have essentially two quarterbacks on offense with Chris Gray and Jeff Teat. But the interesting thing is Jeff Teat is so selfless that, like, I see that actually working out really, really well. We're not talking about, you know, like two Rob Pinnells here. We're talking about two different style attackmen on either side. Um, I'm really interested to see how this works out. And that's, again, filling a need that they had last year and the fact that the Chaos won that game in the semis because they were able to, you know, put short sticks on Jake Carraway and Eric law and dare them to dodge and you know, no disservice to those two players. They're great players, but they're more, you know, off ball guys um, adding another quarterback that you can't, you can't not pull Chris Gray. You can't not pull Jeff T, you know, they're not going to be able to, you know, deploy that type of strategy against the Atlas again this year. So yeah, I, I agree. I think the Atlas are clear winners. Also got a shout out. I love seeing a D3 product and Max Wayne getting drafted at Christopher Newport. Sister went there, have some connections there. So I love to see a, a captain make it to the PLL. Um, Brian, though, you're our resident Atlas fan. Let's get your thoughts on the Atlas draft. You know, Ben Reviewer was one of my favorite players to watch growing up at Virginia on one of my favorite Virginia teams. And then now he's like one of my favorite coaches to watch all the time. Even if I wasn't an Atlas fan, I would love just – the transformation he put this team through. And I think he handled uh, the draft marvelously. And even though in our pre-draft show with uh, Joe Keegs and Jake Watts, uh, I put out like a stupid hot take at the end of it, where I said that Ben Rubier should just get rid of his late round picks. And I'm happy that he actually did trade away some of them because I think he could have just, I don't know, wasted a pick on someone that they didn't need that, you know, now they're getting value in the future on. So it was actually a really great move. And also always love to see a D3 prospect like you uh, brought up come in and he's a big guy too. And I think, you know, maybe Tucker Durgan takes him under his wing and like he can become that field commander that backs up uh, K-Ben Raphorse and Rex Road and kind of handles that field general role potentially. Um, I think that has a really cool prospects. Uh, and you guys already touched on Chris, Chris Gray and uh, T. But I, I don't want to undervalue the leadership of Eric Law on that attack unit and his off-ball presence. When those teams have to pay so much attention to the other two attackmen, and I'm not even mentioning all of the offensive weapons they have at the midfield, Eric Law is going to be like an invisible person on the field. There, he's going to be able to go anywhere that he wants and just manipulate the defenses as he pleases. And this team is just going to be so incredibly awesome to watch this summer. No, I agree. This is going to really help Eric Law. I mean, he was already thriving last year. Um, you know, I just think we're going to see another great year out of him. He's doing it at a high level. Been doing it at a high level for a long time. And and like you said with Max Wayne, like I talk, Jacob Hale is uh, my family relation. He dates my sister, and he was teammates with Max Wayne. He said that Max has been in the weight room 24-7, and one of his goals was to make it to the PLL. So nice to see, you know, that come true for him, and hopefully he succeeds at the next level. But I agree. I think the Atlas – did a phenomenal job at this draft. It was, you know, they were already going in with a lot of pieces and they still somehow found a way to get better. Um, you could say the same too about the Redwoods, I think, in terms of what they were able to do. Um, they also picked up a lot of people off the waiver wire, but that doesn't even, you know, address the fact that they got Cohen and Nakai um, and then Bartolo in this draft. Um, I'll start off with you, Adam. Thoughts kind of on the Redwoods uh, now, you know, adding you know, some other key pieces that they didn't really have any weaknesses, but, um, you know, maybe thoughts on Cohen, the fact that they now do have that top cover guy after losing Matt Landis to military commitments the past two years. 
Yeah, I feel like I should uh, leave the Cohen talk to Topher after that great piece, right? But uh, just another awesome uh, addition. Uh, the the Notre Dame bloodline for the Redwoods continues. Um, and obviously, I'm really excited to see Nikki on that team, uh, Nakai on that team as well. So uh, this is the team that every year uh, gets close, right? And just uh, does, doesn't get over the hump. And uh, I think adding the pieces they did this year uh, in the draft could do just that. So I'm really excited to see uh, how Coach Nat uh, really brings all these guys in uh, to build on what on their past success. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, Topher, I knew you were a big fan of their waiver wire ads. So do you want to speak on that a little bit? Yeah, so the draft picks themselves were obviously great. Basically got everyone who a Redwoods fan could have ever asked for in getting Arden Cohen and just kind of lucking into Nakai in the third round. But I really liked watching some of their waiver wire pickups. And it's two guys I really looked at. Uh, Joe Robertson from Duke, a guy who played a ton of games, is kind of a complimentary piece on a stacked Duke roster. You know, that's just the kind of guy who I could absolutely see just kind of sticking around for five, six years, just as like a rotation attackman kind of thing. And also Anthony DeMaio from uh, Maryland, a guy, another guy, been at a top program for a really long time, consistently not the star, but always putting up points. Like those are two guys who can just stick around as depth pieces for a while and just kind of just gives you more depth. You're not, you're not, you don't have to be solely reliant on Miles Jones and Jules Henningberg to always create. You have just these extra depth options if someone gets hurt or, if someone's just not playing particularly well in a game. No, absolutely. I, I agree with that. And, you know, we mentioned some waiver wire ads. So I kind of want to now skip, we'll get back to the archers in a little bit because they got another big piece, you know, at number four. But I want to go to the chaos because they had two picks in this first round, fill some obvious needs, you know, get another poll and a versatile poll in that, you know, regard too, um, at number six with Brett Kennedy and then they get Zach Geddes as well, short stick defensive midi, um, Georgetown product. So those were two, you know, big ads to kind of fill some needs on the defensive end, you know, obviously missing Johnny Serdick is going to be big for them this year. So I think Brett Kennedy kind of fit in seamlessly. Um, and then they have to really use the waiver wire to their advantage because with all their players um, who are on the bandits now, in the championship and potentially missing two to three weeks, um, they really had to use that waiver wire to their advantage. But it's funny. There's so many guys, good guys in the player pool. And, you know, when you're a coach, you're kind of looking for need in the player pool at that point. But Andy Towers almost got his pick of some of the best players that just for some reason weren't on a roster. So I'll let you talk a little bit on that, Brian. But I feel like, you know, even though the Cavs are missing some key starters, uh, they might not miss a beat coming the first two weeks. Yeah, it's definitely going to be really interesting. I feel like we're in the movie The Replacements, and I don't know who I'd call Shane Falco, but I guess we'll find out whoever the whoever decides to be the quarterback of that offense going in. But I agree, the first round defensive additions were really great, and particularly because Blaze needs a slightly more prominent presence in front of him so he doesn't have to make 20 saves a game to get into championship weekend again. And if they can limit the number of shots that he's seeing during the course of the game, then they're going to go far again. Um, And then Donville was like such an obvious pick for them. And I'm almost mad that the rest of the teams let them get away with it. They're just feeding it. They're just letting the chaos feed like, like the league lets like the whip snakes and whatever, just get away with all this stuff. Uh, Donville was like a slip through the cracks that some other teams really could have taken advantage of. Uh, but like you were saying, they had to basically pick a whole team from the player pool. Um, some of whom were like really unexpected, like, you know, Kevin Crowley. Um, and then obviously like other high production uh, NOL guys like Joe Resteris or whatever. Uh, but I think what will be interesting coming from this particular thing, like I think they had a good draft. 
They have a weird predicament on their hands. What I think is going to be more interesting than how this like team of replacement plays um, is who has staying power and is going to take advantage of being picked up from the player pool after the draft because of this predicament. And I think some guys to like look for is I think Mike Adler is like a really obvious choice. He's a younger guy, uh, someone that could back up Blaze and step right in for him. Tommy Palasek, we've been talking about him for over a year now. Why isn't he on a team or why isn't this team working out or why is, why is he not getting the shot that a lot of fans thinks that he thinks that he deserves? And then as a fresh guy, an, an actual rookie, I'm um, looking at Sean Quinn, who's a D guy from Drexel. And uh, notably when they had their run in 2021, when they had a lot of really good pieces, uh, he held Pat Cavanaugh to two points in, in that uh, quarterfinals or semifinals or whatever game it was. And it was a really impressive showing. And he had another really good sneaky year. It got kind of buried in the fact that Drexel kind of fizzled out after their really good run in 2021. And since they did draft some D guys to fill those roles, Sean Quinn could end up being a good depth guy that could end up staying on their roster when everything's said and done with the bandits. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's why I think it's interesting about them, their pickups. It's almost like how did, you know, we let them get away with all those picks, but you know, uh, another team's not going to, a team like the Redwoods isn't going to add a superstar, but they were able to add guys like, you know, Kevin Crowley was a top MLO player at the time. He's the only Play, uh, one of three players, the other being Lyle and Jeff T to be drafted number one overall by the NLL and the MLL slash PLL. So um, I think, you know, he, he obviously with the wings is still performing at a high level. He's going to be great. Joe Terrace, it's going to be fun seeing him play field again. Um, yeah. I, I think this team, it, it's going to be interesting because how much can they get done in training camp to kind of be able to produce, you know, I, I think that's where it's like playing the whips is going to be tough because the whips aren't losing too many guys and they're already just a well-coached, well-prepared team. So that's kind of, I think going to be a tough matchup for them to open with, but they definitely have the talent um, for sure. And, you know, Jerry Raganese, you know, didn't do too well in this, his PLL uh, first season, but he's another, you know, guy that can perform at a high level and was one of the top face-off guys in the MLL. So um, I don't know. You feel the same way that we all do, Adam, that, you know, the chaos probably aren't in that bad of shape despite, you know, missing so many guys. Yeah, I agree. And to kind of play devil's advocate, Hutton, on your the, the comment of it's going to be tough to play a team with like the whips, I think it might be a benefit for the chaos long term, right? The, these squads that are playing them early, their team, if they see them later in the season, going to look completely different come playoff time, come, come whatever the case may be. And a guy wasn't in terms of the draft uh, that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, I'm just throwing out all, all the, uh, the hits for me and Challen Rogers. Uh, I think he has the capabilities of being one of literally the best players uh, in, in the PLL this season. I think his game uh, is perfect uh, for, for the shorter field, and I think he's going to be play a major role, obviously, early in the season since the Rock are out, but also uh, later on uh, in the season as well. I mean, Jonathan Donville, we mentioned him, his first overall pick in the NLL, so excited to see him play. And Kevin Crowley, as you mentioned, got didn't get much time for the barrage when he was in the MLL he didn't get to play but he was a, a first overall pick and they traded a first round pick that last year uh in, in the season for them so uh and one guy we haven't mentioned too uh Zach Geddes he is fast I don't know if anyone saw uh that Georgetown playoff game but I, I'd like to see his 40 time uh how fast he is so I'm really excited to, to see this chaos team um I don't think they'll uh be missing they're not they're going to be missing a lot of fantastic players but i don't think they'll miss much of a beat early on yeah no and uh i think you know to 
Brian's point, like how did teams let them get their guys? Brett Kennedy is a chaos guy, you know, Zach Geddes is a chaos guy. Jonathan Donville is a chaos guy. And they just, they, they let them get their guys. I mean, the Donville one is just to me, like, you know, we were checking him to potentially be a first round pick and he fell all the way to the chaos, you know, in the end of the second round. So um, yeah, another great pickup by them and certainly looking forward to see, like we said, this draft was just stacked from top to bottom and the archers benefited from a player dropping and getting Matt Moore. Um, so I'm sure coach Bates is just, was just ecstatic to see them getting Matt Moore because he was projected to go number two. Um, so they had an interesting kind of dilemma at four, you know, heading into the draft. And that was resolved pretty quickly when they found out they could draft Matt Moore and he's going to fit this archers team, uh, to a T it's just interesting that, um, you know, the archers still getting Dobson, I think is big, you know, you get a backup goalie, um, Anasio, I think is actually had a chance to really make an impact in this league, but, they're just still not – it's not a T.D. Erlin, you know, like last year. It's not a Jeff T. like last year that is going to come at, in and immediately make an immediate impact that you know this is going to put the team over the hump. I still think we're going to have to monitor this face-off uh, position. But go to you, Brian. Thoughts on the Archers draft. Um, do you think they filled their needs sufficiently enough that they can be competitive this year and get over the hump? Or do you still think we could see same issues rear their ugly heads later in the season? Yeah, it's tough to say, mostly because a lot of the issues that they had last season were just execution. So I think they're adding a lot of really great pieces, uh, depth that uh, goalie uh, to either, you know, complement if they stick with their classic archers two goalie model or compete against Gittleman in, in training camp or, or just, you know, back them up if, if something bad happens. Like, great face-off guy, that's like their clear – that was their clear, like, team-specific need that they had to address – um, but I think Matt Moore is going to fit really well in with the rest of the crazy offensive pieces they have. And it, like, they didn't really have a lot else to do in the draft. This is probably like, the most boring case. And it's just kind of like, this team just has to show up already. And we're all waiting for it to happen. No, I agree. And I think they have the face-off guys on their roster to be serviceable, you know? And I think that, you know, it's, it's tough because Stephen Kelly, I don't think did too poorly either. He just wasn't you know, a game changer, like a Trevor Baptiste or TD Erlin, um, you know, so that's, I think where their struggles were predominantly, but um, this team also, I think the, the, the Matt Moore was big because this team also struggles to beat people off the dodge. And he's going to be a guy that is going to draw a slide and get other guys open. I think they were hoping that, um, you know, some of these guys that they acquired, you know, previous years would do that. Uh, they need more weapons around them that can, beat a player on off the dodge and draw a slide. And I think they have a lot of tradition, like phenomenal uh, finishers, you know, on this team um, and guys that, you know, can score, but you know, if it's not Tom Shriver, it's not Grant Amon, it's, you know, that's where they kind of, you know, ran into some issues because one, they weren't getting as many possessions and two, they, their offense was starting to get stagnant. And you saw again, the chaos were able to deploy the proper system to kind of put that in check. I, I don't know. Am I reading that right, Brian? Do you feel the same way? And to that point, that's kind of why in our pre-draft show, I was kind of expecting them to, I don't know, dip a little bit more into the midfield pool in the draft or even in the player pool, because uh, outside of Schreiber, they are, they are limited somewhat in options of initiation from up top and teams can game plan around a heavy uh, attack base, attackman based uh, offensive scheme. And like you're saying, they need someone to draw a slide. I know that the archers are looking off ball after they dodge. So don't go. 
you know, and then if if they aren't beat sufficiently or I trust my goalie to make that stop, they're going to have struggles. And but also I, I think their offense in general struggled from unforced offensive turnovers, too. I think they had plenty of really good looks and they do have the initiators to get the job done. So I, I still think even with this personnel, they can they do have the initiators. Uh, they just have to really rein it in. Yeah. And to your point, that's where Matt Moore fits in perfectly, you know, from the midfield. Um, and, you know, he'll probably draw. A, uh, a short stick predominantly too. And that's where, that's where some of these, you know, college players that are used to getting the top poles on them can really thrive in the PLL because they're not always facing a team's top pole. Um, so I, I think we're going to, I can expect a, a big year out of Matt Moore. Um, you know, and like we said, he was pretty much ranked number two, number three, uh, along with Wisnowskis and Gray. And for him to fall to four for the archers, I think that was big. Um, so yeah, we'll move on uh, now to the Cannons. And this was probably the more polarizing draft um, of all the drafts, I think. So I personally wasn't a fan of their draft strategy and what Coach Cork did, but I did like the players that they got. Um, I love the pick of Asher Nolting. Um, although, you know, he is a ball-dominant attackman, and they already have another ball-dominant attackman and the best player in the world, Lyle Thompson, um, I think they're going to find, you know, plenty of creative ways – to get him his touches and uh, with Steven Rafis, you know, dealing from the the midfield and stuff. Um, I don't think the pick of Nolting is a bad pick by any stretch of the imagination. And then Fairman, I think was also a great pick as well. Um, maybe you could argue they reached a little bit for him, but uh, he wasn't going to be around much longer in that second round, just given his versatility. So they had some Nina short defensive mini um, and he's one of the best two way midfielders uh, prospects in the country. So for them to get him, uh, I think was huge. Um, where I kind of, you know, scratch my head a little bit, as we mentioned it earlier, is they traded their future first round pick to get two more draft picks and in return. They picked Fairman and, uh, cursed, you know, out of Rutgers, great goaltender prospect. Uh, I'm not surprised that he was drafted necessarily or I'm not, he's definitely PLO caliber goalie, but I am surprised he was drafted just because there's just not that strong of a need. They had just picked up. Jake Porter off the waiver wire, so clearly didn't necessarily need a backup goalie. You could still get cursed, though, off the waiver wire. That's where I think they kind of reached using a pick on him. Um, I think, you know, if if I was the Cannons, you really want Fairman. I think you pass on Nolting because as much as a great player's Nolting is going to be at this next level, you can get by without him with all the other offensive pieces you have and that you added in the offseason. You get Fairman, that guy that, you know, you really covet, um, and then, you know, you can get cursed off of waivers. I'm, I would have been shocked if curse went to another team, um, you know, had they not drafted him. I just think he's, he's going to be, you know, have a chance to compete for a PLL role. I just don't think you have to use a draft pick on him. And that goes into my theory that there was only going to be one draft goalie drafted and up being three. So I was incorrect in that, but, um, that's not a disservice to the goalie prospects. It's just the fact that you can kind of get by get picking up off the waiver wire. Um, I did think they had some sneaky, good, Weaver wire ads though. And John Piatelli out of Cornell, they're still playing right now, you know, so it'll be tough. You know, he'll have to really kind of hit the ground running if he does make a roster spot, but I thought he could have gotten drafted. And then Bomberry, um, Brendan Bomberry, you know, obviously the Lyle connections there from their days at the Bayhawks and now with the swarm. So he would be a great ad. Uh, he's kind of in the same situation as Randy Stotts with him, you know, saying with them saying that he's going to play for the Chiefs. So um, I don't know. We're hearing that he's going to go to training camp as well. So it sounds like they're just playing for this this first game and then plan to play in the PLL. But I thought that was a great ad as well if he doesn't play. But um, Brian, I know you kind of 
felt similar ways as me about the strategy. Uh, what were your thoughts on, you know, the Cannons' decisions to to kind of trade away their their future first round pick? Super happy as an Atlas fan, but I really like I really like your point about uh, like whether or not they needed to pick up Curse because we saw we just I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but we also saw the Whips pick a goalie up off waivers, so that was a viable option for sure. Um, and I think one thing that they didn't quite address, I think, or at least it's not clear to me how they've addressed it, is uh, part of their offensive strength last year was the fact that they had a duo at midfield with Rafus and Rabel. And now with Rabel gone, they have to kind of change their offensive identity, I think, a little bit because I didn't, I don't think they replaced that hole with a Rabel-like figure. And with the addition of Nolting and Bomberry, I think the identity of the of the team on that end of the field is going to change pretty drastically. And it could be for better, it could be for worse. That's you know we're going to see a little bit more at training camp. Uh, so kind of like Chrome, I don't know how I feel about the Cannons draft necessarily. Yeah, and I agree. And, you know, they add Jake Fricaro in that trade, which I feel like kind of replaces, you know, maybe the Connor Busick-esque um, Paul Rabel. Like, it replaces one of those guys, but you still could have used another midfielder. And I think the Atlas's pickup of Brendan Curry was sneaky good. I had him – I actually had him mocked to the Atlas, but thought he would have been a good fit on the cans just given his history with Rafis. Um So, yeah, I, that was a kind of a head-scratcher. And then, you know, also consider that Brody Merrill – you know, we don't know how much longer he's going to play. They could have added another defensive prospect, um, you know, maybe uh, Gibson Smith, uh, who ended up not even getting drafted. He got picked up by the Whip Snakes, which we'll get to very shortly. Um, so, yeah, that's where I, I thought they filled their one need at short stick defensive midi with Fairman, but taking an offensive player and a goalie was, uh, you know, kind of a head scratcher while also kind of, you know, jeopardizing your your future next year draft as well. Um, obviously, I think Coach Quirk has high hopes that they'll get an eighth pick in the first round and, you know, thinks he can win this year with this group that he's got. Um, but yeah, I think that was definitely a, a gamble that he took um, doing that. I, I don't know, Topher, did you have similar sentiments? Yeah, I definitely did. I, I don't like trading the first round pick. I don't really know how much better they got in this draft. I don't know if they addressed their clear needs in obvious ways. I think you guys missed, I, I they did also pick up uh, Trimboli, Jamie Tromboli from the Redwoods reserve roster last year. He was a pretty highly touted guy coming out of Syracuse as well. He didn't play like at all, basically with the Redwoods and only got a little bit of run last year. So maybe he's a guy that they're expecting to kind of play into a starting role this season. And that's why they didn't go after a pure offensive midfielder. But again, I don't think they really made the best moves per se, but like it's a, it's a tight enough league that, you know, let's say Lyle just, breaks the points record or something, they could easily be great again. No, absolutely. Whenever you have Lyle Thompson, you're always going to have a great shot. And, you know, one of their biggest needs going into this offseason, they already filled before the draft at face-off, um, you know, getting Alex Woodall and getting Stephen Kelly via trade. So um, they did a good job of filling, I think, what was their biggest need at face-off, whereas the Archers are the ones that maybe are looking to, to kind of hopefully have the guys that they got uh, fix that. But we mentioned the Whip Snakes getting away with a lot of stuff. Um, so I'll go right back to you, Topher. <laughs> Thoughts on the Whip Snakes draft? It was the most Whip Snakes draft you could have imagined. I, I mean, they got the most on-brand players, guys who are basically clones of person people already on the rosters. Uh, Puglisi in the first round is just a younger Matt Abbott, but more Maryland. Uh, Keegan Khan is another one of those kind of attackman midfielder tweener types who's very unselfish. He could potentially be a good depth piece. 
you know, they just added more numbers. You know, Jim Stagnita had, knew what he wanted. He grabbed the guys that he wanted. Nobody really stopped him from grabbing the guys that he wanted. And the Whip Snakesers just continue to be probably the most loaded team in the league. No, absolutely. I love the the Jacka Boys pick that you mentioned earlier. I also love the Jackson Reed pick as well. I had him getting drafted uh, in the final dra- draft spot to the Chaos, and uh, the Whips ended up getting him. Um, and they got another guy on defense too, who I think you're high on, Brian. Yeah, man. I you know it's interesting. I really enjoyed the Colin Hinton pick in the fourth round, the Jacksonville defenseman. Uh, and I'm kind of surprised that they did that instead of going after you know, just picking Gibson Smith. It doesn't matter because they got two really good defensemen. And I think snuck, they, they snuck one by the entire league somehow. And then they also managed to pick up Krebs. So uh, even outside of the draft, they managed to win the draft. So I just, I'm totally on the same page as Tover. Yeah, no, for sure. And you got Brian Cole potentially coming. Uh, he didn't play last year. Uh, you know, just the guys on offense gutterding, they get a full season out of him. I mean, Whips are going to be just as good as they've been the past three years. Um, you know, a lot of mouths to feed, but um, it is interesting, too. Kirst is another guy that I'm pretty high on. Just the fact that he really did a good job in the NLL playing defense for the Swarm. Um, you know, he played attack at Rutgers and midfield for the Whips last year. So I think he's going to take a, another step um, this year as well. Obviously, his now his brother enters the league as a goalie for the Cannons. Um, so nice to see the Kirst family having a lot of success and. Uh, CJ Curse also doing pretty well going to championship weekend as well. Uh, but yeah, I think we all kind of agree with the whip snakes. Um, and that brings us to our final team in the water dogs. And I'll, I'll go to you first, Adam, with the water dogs, really not a lot of needs for them either, you know, maybe get another, uh, you know, long pole, maybe get some face off depth. They, they could have had a little bit more uh, holes to fill had, you know, Halifax Thunderbirds gone far, farther and Jake Withers been out and they do have to figure out if Dylan Ward does end up going to the championship uh, who they start in cage, but uh, thoughts on the draft by the Water Dogs, Adam, and thoughts on you know them as a whole. Yeah, it seemed uh, like Coach was really excited to know uh, going into it. You saw his expression; he was pretty hyped to get a guy like Jack Hanna, right? Uh, where he did, so I'm excited for him uh, for that pick. And uh, I think, at, like the money line say, I'm I'm really bit high on the water dogs going into next season for for a number of reasons uh it'll be interesting to see like you said uh what what they end up doing in cage uh if uh the the goaded um sweatpant goalie isn't able to suit up for them uh, but they have matt deluca who they used to pick on uh a couple years ago and i think he's super uh he, he's definitely able to to fill that uh spot for a short period of time uh, if needed. So uh, excited to see what this Water Dogs squad, even though it was a quieter draft for them, right? Um, excited to see what they do. And uh, not to mention guys not drafted by them uh, in terms of uh, this year, but like uh, from an NLL perspective, a Reed Bowering and a Charlie Kitchen. Uh, I know Brian, obviously a big Reed guy out of Drexel. So uh, excited what to, to see what this team does with, with uh, those couple ads that I just mentioned. Agreed. And they, they got like, you know, Reed Bowering is a water dog guy. Like he's very Zach Courier-esque, like perfect pick. Charlie Kitchen is going to be great. Another blue hen, you know, going with Matt DeLuca. Um, I also love that they got Bardwell at short defensive midi because I thought he was another guy that could have maybe gotten drafted. Zach Tucci, you know, probably was a questionable to get drafted just because there wasn't that big of a need at faceoff, but he's another good ad. Like he was the, you know, arguably the 
third prospect, uh, you know, in the face-off position. So those were some great waiver ads. Um, yeah, I, I thought they did a really great – they had a really great draft. And, um, you know, Brian, I, I know you kind of liked uh, what they did with Reynolds too. So kind of talk a little bit about, you know, his impact on this team. Yeah, I agree with Adam that they kind of had a quieter draft, but it was a really good one. Uh, I think they gave backup to players that could potentially need it, given the fact that they're a really gritty between the lines team, like picking up Reynolds to give Reese some backup. And then uh, they gave Withers some backup as well. Uh, but I like the fact that, uh, you know, they really like the Hannah pick. I love the pick. It just adds to a really athletic and aggressive midfield that makes their face-off unit so strong. It makes them strong in transition. And it's such a big part of why they were so good last year. And I'm really excited to see how Michael Sowers contributes to all of that because we don't know how that's going to affect the identity of the team. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to watch this team. And, I, and I'm so happy you brought up Reed Bowering. Because I, I really hope we see a bit more of him this year because he was an absolute delight to watch all season on the Warriors. He's the exact kind of guy that the Water Dogs need. He can go back on defense and play physical and then run the ball and then dodge on anyone on the other end of the field. So I think he I, I hope he gets a lot more time than than he has previously. Um, so I'm very high on the Water Dogs going into the season. I would not be surprised if we saw another Atlas Water Dogs end of the uh, regular season showdown for the one seed. Yeah, no, and they got Matt Hosick too, who had a lot of success at Panther City, you know, short stick defense of me. Um, and I, I, I love the Hannah pick. I'm glad you guys mentioned him because he, he was pretty much first round talent, just given the fact that there was a lot of, you know, top guys ahead of him. And he, the fact that he fell to the Water Dogs, um, you know, late in the second round, uh, what a steal by them. And then you mentioned Sowers, you know, they didn't have a first round draft pick this year, but they didn't really need one because now they're getting a healthy Michael Sowers this year, you know, their top draft pick last year. So yeah, the Water Dogs are another team um, that, you know, quietly just are, you know, ready to go um, already. And just again, got better um, them and the whip snakes again, like not that many strong needs, but they filled the needs that they needed and they did a really great job on the waiver wire previously and after the draft. So um, yeah, they're, they're going to be a scary team as well. So I think we're, we're hyping up pretty much every team. So it's going to be in for another wild, crazy PLL season with all the parody. Um, but certainly looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing the training camp battles, um, see, you know, what players earn some roster spots and, and see who some of these gems from the draft are. But uh, that's going to do it for us on our uh, live edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk. Um, you can listen to this. If you just tuned in now and you kind of missed earlier, you can listen to the recording on Twitter or you can listen to the podcast. I'll be posting that later tonight or early tomorrow morning. Um, but we appreciate you guys listening. If you don't subscribe to the podcast, do so on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, feel free to leave us a five-star review if you really enjoyed it. Um, and you know, check in for our interviews with players, coaches, and executives that air uh, exclusively on our podcast channels. Also going to bring back the Fantasy Lacrosse podcast this year as well with Fantasy now coming into the fold with the PLL. Bet on Lacrosse continues to go strong and will continue to go strong throughout the season. We do Twitter spaces with that too. So if you're starting to dabble a little bit in the gambling, definitely check that out. Dan Alexander does a great job leading that. Um, we do that usually every Wednesday or Thursday. Um, but as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in. I appreciate you guys, Topher, Adam, Brian, for joining me and you guys as listeners for tuning in to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. Have a great week, everybody.